0: Everybody loves a good Cinderella story, whether it's the Braves going from worst to first or the fact that of the eight teams still left in the NBA playoffs, five of them have never won a title, including all four Western Division teams. Only one team has more than one title, the 76ers, who last won during my freshman year in college in 1983. And who can forget the 1958 Hawks? Last week, we lifted up the family of Jenny Rolfus, who has just started as our new hospitality co-lead. She could not be here last Sunday because her sister-in-law, Ashley, had just died. Jenny asked me to pray especially for her nieces. The younger one, Sydney, was supposed to play in a state semifinal softball game just hours after attending her mother's funeral, who died at the age of 48 of cancer. Sydney, a Ballard High School senior, went to the game. She started in the outfield, and when she stepped up to the plate, she lifted her eyes toward heaven. In her first at bat after the funeral, she hit a three-run homer. The amazing thing, though, it was her first homer of the entire season, setting the stage for her team's victory and advancing them to the state finals. Everybody loves a good Cinderella story. Today's scripture text mirrors the Cinderella story, but with a horn of anointing oil instead of a glass slipper. To get to the Cinderella story, though, we have to fast forward from where we left Samuel last week, when God told Samuel to give the people what they wanted, give them a king, but make sure that king has a warning label. Saul was the most handsome man in Israel. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else, reminding us that you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Saul is anointed king while out looking for his father's donkeys. I know there must be some humor in this, but I'm just not sure how to articulate it. Samuel used a flask of oil to anoint Saul. His reign leads to some early successes, but then Saul can't seem to do anything right. I think it's only fair on this 55th anniversary of Miranda versus Arizona to read Saul his rights. Saul, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. In a court of law. Saul, there are three issues we need to address with you. First, can you tell us about that sacrifice incident? You have the right to remain silent. Well, Samuel told me to wait seven days until we got here to do the sacrifice, but Samuel was late, and I just went ahead and did it on my own. I couldn't wait any longer. Saul, uh, what about that incident with you cursing and starving your army? You have the right to remain silent. They called it a very rash act. Before we went into battle, I I put a curse on any of my troops that ate before we won. It sounded like a good idea at the time. How was I to know that an army marches on its stomach? Then my son, Jonathan, didn't get the curse memo and he ate something that day. And I ended up cursing my own son. I should have known we're not our best when we're hungry. And maybe to make matters worse, they got so hungry later in the day that they ate the blood of animals, which wasn't kosher to say the least. And Saul, can you tell us about the Amalekite incident? You do have the right to remain silent. Well, you see, Samuel gave me strict orders to follow in that battle, but I thought my way would be better, so I followed most of what he said. So Saul, you're being charged with an inability to wait, a failure to yield, cursing your own team and your own family, reckless endangerment, and being almost obedient. Samuel confronts Saul with all of this. Saul, how do you plead? Not guilty, not guilty. I've just done what you told me. I've obeyed, but. Saul defends his almost obedience before Samuel. And then Saul makes it worse. He tells Samuel why he did it. He says, "I, I sinned because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Saul finally makes a confession after all this, but it is far too late. After hearing all this testimony, God, near the end of chapter 15, gives the verdict. I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. Indicted on all three counts. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. It's been attributed to Abe Lincoln and Mark Twain, but it comes from Proverbs 17. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. And discerning if they hold their tongues. And this is where we tune into our text today. To 1 Samuel 15, starting in verse 34 through chapter 16, verse 13. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gilbeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord was sorry that he made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I've rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. "...invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do, and you shall anoint for me the one who I name to you." Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, "...do you come peaceably?" He said, "...peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice." And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice." When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him here, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. This is the good news according to 1 Samuel. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, may these ancient words echo in our hearts and minds in the days ahead. May we hear what you have to tell us through these words. Amen. My life has been changed numerous times by a good question that I was asked to ponder. God asks Samuel this question, How long will you grieve over Saul? For us, it's just the turn of a page from chapter 15 to chapter 16. Yet some scholars think that it has gone on for over four years, Samuel grieving over Saul. How long will you grieve over Saul? Now let, let me be clear, Saul has not died. Samuel is not languishing in the wake of a person's death. He's lamenting over the death of expectations. For grief over a person's death belongs in a different category. We've all had to walk the path through the valley of the shadow of death. Grief comes to all of us in one way or another. And some grief lingers for a long time, even after your healing work is done. I visited with one of our members this week who lost her son in his late 30s. That is a grief you work through over the long haul. You never fully get over it. It's always right there below the surface. You get through it and you find hope and healing, but the empty chair remains. Saul's grief is different. It's the death of a dream. Saul is anguishing and languishing over Saul's mistake. So God asks him, how long will you fixate on someone else's shortcomings? As Saul was impatient, improper, and impetuous. I'm not asking you not to grieve at the past at all, but there needs to be some time limit. You wonder how often Samuel told people the stories of Saul. I find that the more I tell stories about how someone hurt me, the more those stories haunt me and become part of my everyday thinking. There was one story in my life I just had to stop telling. I was grieving over someone else's issue, and the more I told the story, the more I kept picking at a scab that had healed over, and I ended up with a fresh wound every time I told that story. I just had to stop telling it. Are there any stories in your life you need to stop telling and retelling? How long will you grieve over? You fill in the blank. How long will you let someone else's mistakes haunt you? Samuel needed a new story to invest himself in. God doesn't tell Samuel to stop grieving over Saul. Stop grieving. That doesn't work, does it? God merely gives us the question to ponder. How long will you keep grieving? How long will you keep looking over your shoulder? How long will you stare into the rearview mirror instead of at the road up ahead? How long will you keep looking at the past? How long do you st- until you stop dwelling on the past? We start by living a new story. In addition to a good question to ponder, God sends Samuel into a new story with some new actions. First, Samuel, you will need to fill your horn with oil. You emptied your flask of oil on Saul and now you're running on empty like Saul's faint and hungry army. Don't refill your old flask. That's the old story. That flask was handmade, human-made. This time, fill a horn, something the Lord made, and do it with fresh oil for a fresh anointing. And after your horn is full, set out. Take the next faithful step. Take just one step in a new direction. Try it today. Set out. You have stayed home lamenting long enough. But Samuel's afraid to take on this new story, afraid of what Saul might do, afraid of how the old story will infect the new one. So God says, you need to prepare a sacrifice. You need to be ready to sacrifice. In order to stop looking back, some sacrifice will be required. So with a fresh horn of oil and a heifer to sacrifice, Samuel sets out in a new direction to start a new story at the home of Jesse the Bethlehemite for the new king is to be one of Jesse's sons. Jesse, you remember, is the grandson of Ruth told in that beautiful story slipped in between Judges and 1 Samuel. When Samuel gets to Bethlehem, the elders of the city come out fearing what Samuel will do. All this fear in and around Bethlehem and they are told, I come in peace. Your old story might be one of war and conflict. May your new story be one of peace and healing. Samuel tells the elders to consecrate themselves, to be ready for the sacrifice. Then he consecrates Jesse and his family. To consecrate is to seek to make holy. Now, we cannot make ourselves holy, but we can examine our inner attitudes and make certain physical actions that symbolize our attempts to humble ourselves before God. For example... In Samuel's time, people washed themselves and their clothes to show that they wanted God to make them clean. They would then confess their sins as they tried to start with a new slate before God. Are you ready for a new story today? Maybe you just want to grab some hand sanitizer on the way out of here today. Or wash your hands when you get home as a symbol of a new beginning. You want to stop grieving over the past? Fill your horn with oil, set out in a new path, prepare to make a sacrifice, and be willing to give something up into the Lord's hands. Consecrate yourself for the sacrifice and look for the new thing that God is doing. Samuel has been told that the next king is among Jesse's son, so Samuel starts with the oldest and after seeing him, Samuel thinks to himself, this is the one, I've got this. But that's the old story. The tallest and the most most handsome was the old story. God says to Samuel, this is a new story for you and for my people. Do not look on his appearance, the height of his stature. I've rejected him, for the Lord does not see as you see. They look on outward appearances, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse made the next sister try on the slipper. I mean, made his son Abinadab pass before Samuel, and he was not the Lord's choice. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and the slipper did not fit him either. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are all your sons here? And just like in Cinderella, there was one left. Yes, there is one more, but he's the youngest. And he's out keeping the sheep. He's a faithful shepherd, obediently doing what his father asked him to do. Shepherds outside Bethlehem, Hmm. Seems like the beginning of a new story, watching over their flocks. And into that fear, the angel said, do not be afraid. For see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Samuel says to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So they stand and they wait. And they wait. Now, I don't want to be petty, but sometimes the waiting is the hardest part. (laughs) Waiting. It is the answer to impatience. Learning to wait without a cell phone to distract us. For those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. The old story featured the pain of impatience. The new story teaches patience through waiting. The old story had a father cursing his own family. The new story has a father blessing his family and all the nations of the world. The old story finds a leader that is almost obedient. The new story finds Samuel in full obedience. The young shepherd boy is finally brought in from the field with his reddish complexion, beautiful eyes, and his good-looking appearance, But God does not look on the appearance. God looked on the heart and said, this is the one. Rise and anoint him. This is the one. Samuel took the horn of fresh oil and anointed the boy in the presence of his older brothers, moving him from that annoying little brother to the anointed king in waiting. And then we hear his name for the first time, David, beloved And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. You might remember that the Lord's anointed is also translated as Messiah. Messiah, the Lord's anointed. This will not be the last time the youngest among those gathered in Bethlehem will be God's anointed. This is the new story beginning to unfold. Samuel has anointed the future king and can now start looking forward instead of backward. There is a reason your rearview mirror isn't the size of your windshield. So how long are you going to grieve over the past? It is not that we don't grieve over the past, but for how long? If you're stuck looking backwards, let me invite you to follow in the footsteps of Samuel. Find a new horn and fill up with fresh oil. You can only run on empty for so long. Set out, for when you stand still, you can't start anew. And prepare, prepare to sacrifice. Several years ago, an oncologist named Rachel Remen was diagnosed with cancer. When she called her mother to lament, her mother reminded her of her grandmother's refrigerator. Rachel, do you remember how you would run in as a little girl and fling open the refrigerator door? Grandma had one of those old models where the eggs were on the door. You would fling it open and occasionally an egg or two would come crashing to the floor. And rather than getting angry or frustrated, your grandmother would scoop up the eggs and say, today we make sponge cake. Today we make sponge cake. Today we take on a new story. We worship a God who takes our brokenness and makes something new. We just need to slow down enough to recognize what God is doing. For Samuel and David's obedience are the antidote to Saul's disobedience. I spent some time this week with Van Brandenburg raising money to support people with Parkinson's. Van works for a Dutch company and they have an office in Dublin. One of his colleagues was having dinner at a restaurant in Dublin when she spotted Bono and a friend at another table. She so wanted to get Bono's autograph, but she didn't want to impose. But partway through the meal, Bono got up to use the restroom. She saw her chance. She ran over to the table to ask his friend if he thought it would be okay to ask for an autograph. She said, please get him to sign a napkin or something. The friend assured her it'd be no problem. He would take care of it. When she finished her meal, the waiter came over with a Bono-signed napkin and told her that her meal had been paid for by Bono and his friend Bruce Springsteen. Too bad she didn't recognize the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Samuel didn't recognize the king in the shepherd boy, David, but God did. How long will you spend grieving over a past you cannot change? God's anointed future for you is right in front of you. Maybe your new story can start today. You have the right to remain silent. So perhaps spending some time waiting in silence can fill you up so that you're ready to start a new story. How long? How long? How long?